You know, I think it's cool um, over the last couple of weeks that we've been able to be a family. And when I think about church, you know, until this past, until this past week, I was going to do a sermon series through the month of December called Coming Home for Christmas. And as you're about to hear, some things happened on Thursday, and I just changed the whole next four weeks because I just felt like something more was needed. But isn't it, isn't it awesome that when you, when you come to church around December, right, when you come to church around December, you have those Christmas and Easter folks that, you know, they, they tend to show up. Students come home from college, you know, and so it's great to see them. You get to, you get to kind of be around some of those folks that you don't normally get to be around. When I, when I think of, you know, church at Christmas, I think of the family. And so, um, man, we love you, and we're with you, and we're for you. Um, but as we've been talking about Advent, as we're going to be talking about Advent for the next few weeks, it's Christmas, right? And that's what we, as Kristen said, we're, we're, we're remembering, we're preparing our hearts for the coming Savior. And, uh, and so this candle is, has, has already been read to us and talked about as the candle of hope. And when you think about making preparations for Christmas... No doubt many of you have probably already made some preparations, right? We've made some preparations here. I love the little wreaths on the wall that have the Summit logo in between. If those disappear this next week, don't think anything of it. Um, and don't come to my house looking for them. Chances are, no. Um, but I just think those are pretty cool. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, we make preparations. We've, um, how many of you have already got a tree up? Okay. How many? We had a guy. We had a guy part of um, a church a few years ago. He. It was his family tradition on Christmas Eve to do the tree, right? And Christmas nothing like last minute. Um, but bless his heart. Um, we've already got ours up, um, and, and and many of you already do. I made some more preparations yesterday. Um, got to Micah, my eight-year-old, and I. We love to put up the Christmas lights on the house, and uh, she likes to help me because she gets to go on the roof. We don't tell mommy when we're going to do this, and so she's just kind of inside doing her thing, and we just kind of sneak outside, and I throw Micah up on the roof, but here's why she likes to get on the roof. She likes to sit on the peak of the roof like Snoopy. That's normal, right? I mean, that's okay. I don't, I don't need to be worried at all, um, but, but while I'm scaling the roof, and especially now because we've had snow and there's a little bit of ice on the roof and stuff, and yesterday it was melting and it wasn't, it wasn't fearful at all. I gave my life to Jesus about five more times yesterday, um, just to be sure, and, uh, and, and, and as I'm scaling the roof, you know, Micah's up there like, you know, you got to do this right, you got to do that right, and I'm like, man, what are you right now? But uh, she's making sure, quality control. Um, um, but there's preparations, you know, that are made. There's preparations that are made. And so we're going to title this series th this Christmas, and I thought this was pretty original on Thursday when I kind of came up with it. But if you Google this sermon series title and, uh, and, and see how many uh, things come up, we're not that original. Um, but um, but, but the, the title that we're going with this year is Christmas Presents, right? Presents, right? And Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. See me after church, um, no, um, but but Christmas presents because I was I was uh, walking through my Thursday just like any kind of other Thursday, making some final preparations for the the weekend and stuff, and putting the finishing touches on the message. And then I had a conversation with somebody that pointed me to this passage. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 10. It's a well-known passage. Many of you know it. Um, there's been studies written, uh, Bible studies, small group studies, all that written on this passage. But something stood out to me on Thursday that I don't know about you, but I just needed to hear it. So Matthew, excuse me, Luke chapter 10, 
verse 38, reads like this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now let's pause right there before we see the response of Jesus. And let's just think about that picture. And no doubt many of you have, have heard studies on this and heard messages on this. And um, I certainly have talked about this a few times. But Jesus is in the room. And a little bit unexpected probably, and so Martha's running around, she's throwing something together for dinner, she's making preparations, she's doing this, she's doing that. And for some of us, now let's be fair to Martha, for some of us, that's a gifting, right? I mean, for some of us, someone walks into your house and it's, you, you just turn into like Superman or Superwoman, right? And you just love it. You love entertaining, you love hospitality. For the rest of us, we praise God for you. We praise God for those of you that that is your gift and that that is your thing. And I don't want you to think, well, just because I'm a Martha, I'm a bad person. Because no doubt, many of us, many of us, if not all of us, we're dealing with this right now. We're in this season right now. I can tell you right now as your pastor, I'm in this season right now. I was having a conversation on Thursday and I'm just like this and that and this and that. And the person said, will you stop complaining so I hung up on him. <laughs> and when he called back three times, no, just kidding. But the next thing he said was, go to Luke 10. Let's look at this. Let's look at this passage. And, and let's, look at, let's look at this. Be distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? One more point I'd like to make because I know none of us do this, right? None of us do this anymore, but Martha was pulling out the scorecard, right? How many of you have heard about the scorecard? I mean, the, you know, I've, I've done dishes, I've changed three diapers, I've, I've, I've swept, I've cleaned, I've folded laundry. What have you done today? <laughs> Does that happen? To any, it's never happened to me. I don't know about you. I'm glad the scorecard doesn't exist anymore, especially at Summit Church, right, where those things never ever happen. But she had the scorecard. And she tells Jesus, tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, and I want you to get this, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You're anxious and troubled about many things. Your mind's in different places. You're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Everybody say one thing. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You know, I, I, I fear and, 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 and a lot of times see some, some things happen around me that I feel like Christmas and Advent has become, what can you do for me? And let's maybe take it out of the context of Christmas for a little bit. That's kind of become life. We're good with relationships. We're good to have people in our lives as long as they're doing something for us. But then once, once that's up, once you can't do that anymore, once you can't serve me in that way anymore, uh, I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. But what Jesus talks about in this passage and what we see in this picture painted for us in Luke chapter 10 is that Jesus wasn't a do for me, he was a be with me. 
And, and, it, and it was more about be with me than it was do for me. And so I just wondered, and, 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 and I was, as I was sitting in my office on Thursday and changed kind of everything that we were focusing on for the next four weeks, which that's a good sermon series. Maybe God will let me do it next year. Save me some prep time. I was thinking, what would it look like if we just became so consumed with the presence of Jesus that nothing else mattered? The one thing. The one thing. The one thing. The one thing. And I was, as I was continuing in that conversation on Thursday, I was reminded um, of, of a quote that I had read at some point before, and he said, it goes a little bit like this. Unmet expectations are one of the lead, leading causes of anxiety today. Unmet expectations is what causes anxiety today. And you know, as I thought about it, I thought, what's the expectation? What is the expectation of my heart right now? What's the expectation? Is it to sit at the feet of Jesus? Or is it to do this and do that and I got to do this and I got to call this person and I got to go buy this gift and I got to go get this thing and I got to go do that and I got to go pr prepare this and I got to make sure that's ready and I got to make sure this ready and I got to make sure that five minutes before church I ask these guys to share the Advent reading. I got to make sure. Right? What's the expectation of your heart? So what does that have to do with hope? Because because we're distracted with many things, because our hearts are consumed with many things and, and, and all of that, and, 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 and the one thing is necessary, so many people I talk to, they think, you know what? I can't even think about an expectation for myself because I'm so busy fulfilling everyone else's expectations. I can't think about what would be my one hope, what would be my one thing, what would be that, what would be that thing that would be so necessary for me right now, that one thing is necessary. I can't even think about that for me because I'm, I'm too busy thinking about everybody else's. We talked about that a little bit last week when we talked about what's our mission. And so for a second, really for four weeks, I'm praying that one thing becomes of utmost importance to us. And that's the presence of Jesus and the hope that He brings. I was sitting, I was sitting at <clears throat> um, Tuesday night uh, at a, at a funeral, and just a just a heartbreaking funeral. And as I sat there and looked across the room and looked at these faces, you could you could see you could see that there was a hope, that there was a hope for hopeless. And you know, that's the beauty of Jesus. Because when we talk about Jesus, there is no end. And isn't it awesome? I mean, we talked about it last Sunday that, that, that we're entering in the easiest season of the year to talk about Jesus. Because Jesus came. I mean, this all happened so that we could hope. So that we could have hope for eternity. So that there would be a hope. And so you may be sitting here this morning and because, because for, for, for everyone, that's not the case. There are some of you in this room, no doubt, that when you think about Christmas, it's not necessarily hopeful. It's not good memories. It's, it, you know, you almost have to talk yourself up and work yourself up to go to those family gatherings and face those folks again. But no matter where you're sitting this morning, 
there's a way we can find hope. And to talk about that, I want to turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 85, and I want to look at a psalm together this morning. Psalm, psalm 85. You guys okay? You still with me? Okay, great. For the two or three of you that are, we're going to look at Psalm 85, and we're going to read the whole psalm this morning. I want to break it up into three, three sections because that's what the psalmist does. And I hope you see the three sections as we read through the psalm. So let's read verses 1 through 3. He says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. I want you to see something here. The psalmist is talking in past tense, right? Do you see that? He says, you were favorable. You restored, past tense. You forgave. You covered. You withdrew. You turned. The way that we find hope is to remember the past. That God rescues. The way to hope, the way to remind ourselves of the hope, especially at Christmas, is to remember how God has shown up in the past, to remember the past. We've talked about this over the last 11 weeks, that, that one of, in, in the hopeless of situations, in the hopeless of times, go back to the time that God called you. Go back to the time that, that God just became real to you, that God just became uh, completely present in your life. Does anybody remember what happened on Tuesday? In Gorham, it was the third snow day already of this 2018-2019 year, which means that my kids are going to be going to school until Labor Day. Um, if, if everything, you know, goes the way it's looking. And so, um, and so on Tuesday, you know, we, we, we made some adjustments and we were, we were figuring some things out. And it got to the, to the point where I was out and about with the plow truck. I do a little bit of, of, of plowing. Now imagine that, right? Imagine that. This story's already um, messed up for some of you because you're like, weren't you born in North Carolina? Yes. Weren't you raised in North Carolina? Yes. And you have a plow truck? Yes. Yikes. And that's fair, and that's fair, especially after this story, that's totally fair. But I was going around and I was, I was helping some people out, and I, I basically have two responsibilities, two and a half maybe when it comes to plowing, um, my driveway and, and, and one other driveway. And so I went to that one other driveway, and, and uh, I pulled right up to the garage, and I didn't realize, and I, and I didn't really pay attention, maybe is the better way to put it, at how heavy that snow was. But it was heavy. But that's all right, my truck's tough, you know? And so I pulled right up to that garage and I put it in reverse and I was gonna drag that snow back so that I could push it out of the way. About halfway to where I needed to get so that I could push it out of the way, the back of my truck began to swerve and began to go in a direction that I wasn't sending it. And the, that would have been fine on a flat driveway on an even surface, but on this particular driveway, there's a hill that goes down. And before I knew it, my, my wife was plowing with me, which I think this is the second time she's ever been plowing with me, and I got stuck the first time she was with me, so we've decided that she's never plowing with me again. <laughs> but she was with me, and she said, I think we're, I think we're stuck. And I said, uh-huh. And she said, can you get unstuck? And so I put it in reverse, I did some different things, and I, I revved it, and I just got it even more stuck. And she said, I think that was bad. <laughs> and I said, uh-huh, uh-huh. 
And so I'm, I'm real frustrated, and, and, it, and the guy that normally pulls me out, like this happens often, um, the guy that normally pulls me out was working, so he was unavailable to come get me, so I you know, called somebody else and, and got a couple people on their way, and I was frustrated. And it was lunchtime, so I was a little bit angry, and I think they call that hangry, right? And I was just, I, I was just real, I, I was uh, not happy at the moment and um, was, was not remembering the hope of Jesus um, and, and, and the, 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 the promises of, of him. Um, and she looked at me across the truck and she said, one day we'll laugh about this. <laughs> nope. No, we won't. I'm not seeing that one day that we're going to laugh about this. I'm glad you're laughing about this. That, that somewhat doesn't bless my heart. But anyway, um, but, but then we, we got out of the truck, and we, we crawled out of the truck, and, and, and you know, I started shoveling, and she says, you need to document this. What are you talking about? She's like, here, let me have your phone. I want to take a couple pictures so that we can just remember this one day when we laugh about this. I've seen those pictures a few times as my kids have, you know, um, you know fumbled through pictures and, and things like that. And I've yet to look at that and say, oh, that was fun. Oh, that was a good memory. Still a little fresh for me, right? But there are times, there are things that you think about. And you look back and you're like, man, that was awesome. Or you think of those tough times and you think, and you look back now and you say, yeah, we can laugh about that now. But when we're in hopeless situations, it's important to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in the past. And that's what the psalmist was doing here in this passage. He says, you showed favor, you restored us, you covered us, you covered all of our sins, you forgave us. I want you to see that in verse 2 when he says, you forgave the iniquity of your people, you covered their sin. sin." What he was talking about here was not only a physical relocating to their land, the promised land, but a spiritual one involving their relationship with God. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger, a display of mercy and grace. And so how do we find the hope that we need? We remember the past. We remember the past. There's no doubt this season just brings up memories, doesn't it? Just brings up memories. And you remember the past. Number two, which can't just stop there. Number two, I want you to see that this psalmist longs for the present. He longs for the present. He cries out to God for compassion. I want you to see this. Look at verse four. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Notice how the tenses have changed. He's gone from past tense to present tense. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace to His people, to His saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. The first thing I want you to see here is He's longing for the present, right? And we're going to talk about what He's longing for in just a moment. But I want you to see something about His prayer. I want you to see something about this psalm that I pray inspires our prayer life. 
He's calling out to God for things. There's an expectation as he's talking to God that God's going to hear him and that God's going to respond to him. See, we're going we're to talk about prayer in January. We're going to do a message series through the Lord's Prayer, and I'm excited for that. But one of the things, as I've been thinking about prayer and kind of meditating on it over the last few weeks, and I, and I think about this psalm, there's an expectation in this prayer, and I wonder if we've become too soft when it comes to our prayer life. I wonder if we just pray prayers that make sense. I wonder if we just pray, pray prayers that have become routine and, and kind of maintenance prayers, so to speak. I mean, when's the last time that you prayed a prayer like Moses in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, 33? I love the passage when he's on the top of the mountain. He's frustrated beyond belief with the Israelites down at the bottom of the mountain because the whole golden calf thing had just happened. And he's standing up there with God and he's saying, God, if you don't lead me from here, I'm not going and I want to get a glimpse of your glory, so show me your glory. That's not, God, if, if it's in your will, if you find, you know, if, 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 if it'd be okay, God, but I, I don't want to be too forward. I don't want to, would you just, would you let me get a glimpse of your glory, maybe? Maybe, think about it. Pray about it, God, I'll be back. He says, no, show me your glory. I'm not leaving this mountain. I'm not leaving this place until you show me your glory. And, and, and God responds to him, well, we'll go to this cleft in a rock I'll cover your face. I'll let all my goodness, all my glory, all my presence pass by you. And then once I've gone completely by you, I'll remove my hand and you can see the back of my robe. Notice that I believe because of Moses' audacious, big, almost demanding prayer, God responds. And I've wondered, maybe God isn't responding to us. Because we're not praying like we really mean it. Or because maybe we're not praying like we really need it. Okay, God, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you, but I've got a backup plan if you don't show up. What if you get rid of plan B? I just say, okay, God, this, this right here, this is plan A. But what if we got rid of our plan B prayer? God, God, I'm going to come to you, but you know, if it doesn't work out, if I don't hear you in, in this amount of time, then I'll just go, what if God was the only way? What if that prayer was the only thing? And that's what I see here in this psalm, when the psalmist cries out to God, he says, restore us again. There's, there's, no, other, there's no other option there. God, I want restoration with you. I want to be restored again in your presence. You've done it before, and so here, I want, to see, I want to see you do it again. Restore us again. Restore us again. And then look at verse 6. He says, will you not revive us again? Kind of a similar prayer. Okay, God, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? See, this was a plea from this psalmist to God for the spiritual awakening of God's people. What a prayer. What would it look like if the church prayed that prayer today? Will you not restore your church again? And why not let it come out of New England and just shock the world? Show all those. Never mind. Let's move on. See, there cannot be true rejoicing without spiritual revival. There are some of you in this room that need a spiritual revival this Christmas. And I'm convinced that that would be the greatest gift you would ever receive, your family would ever receive, your wife, your husband would ever receive if the, as if there was a spiritual restoration, a spiritual awakening in your soul, 
in your heart. See, what is the psalmist praying for? He's praying for revival. And that's what revival is. Revival is literally, the word itself means a restoring back to fullness of life. That which has become stagnant or dormant. A restoration of that which has become stagnant. It's a rekindling of spiritual life in individuals who have fallen into sluggish times. I don't know if I'm preaching to anybody this morning. But true revival returns us to a fresh and vivid emphasis on the holiness of God. That was the heart of this psalmist prayer. God, I want a vivid and fresh emphasis on who you are. One thing. One thing. One thing. I just want to be with you. Sit at your feet. One thing. Verse 7. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord would speak. He's, there's an expectation. We say it quite often around here that God will meet us at the level of our expectation, right? And especially in our prayer life. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace to His people, to His saints. But let Him not turn back to folly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. So we not only remember the past when God rescues, but we long for the present. We cry out to God for compassion. I was talking with Russ on Thursday morning, and he's, doing, he's reading a book right now on rest. Uh, on rest. Um, and one of the things that he, he talked about learning from this book is that rest comes after work. Right? And then in Scripture, we see that we work and then we rest. We work and then we rest. And I think many of us are trying to find rest and we're not working. It was good, wasn't it? I thought it was funny too when you told me Thursday. I just, just was a little, that was good. Okay, so we work and then we rest, right? And we don't, we, we don't just sit around idle, right? And we, and we don't just check Facebook 15 to 20 times a day and then come home and, 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 and think rest. But, but, as, but as I was driving around Thursday and going from one meeting to the next, I longed, I longed for the presence of, of, of the people that were going to be around me on Thursday night. I longed for it. I longed for the presence of that. I longed for what that was going to be like. I longed for the present. But there was a work that came first. You see that? And I think many of us think, well, and so we remember the past and we long for the present. And then number three, got to move on. Number three, we live on the promises. Look at verse 10 through the, the end of the psalm here. He says, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. I want you to get these four. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. I want you to see these four, these four qualities are expressions of God's abundant favor toward his people. This love, this peace, this faithfulness, and this righteousness, they all meet and kiss each other. Verse 11, faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Get this, verse 12, yes, the Lord will give us what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. 
God's going to prepare a way for you. Live on the promises. Remember the past, long for the present, and live on the promises. God's shown up before. Remind yourself on that. Get, gain new perspective on the here and now. Long for the present, the presence of Jesus, and then live on the promises. His conditional, steadfast, loyal love will work together with His faithfulness. With His faithfulness. And the effect of that faithfulness is like new produce coming from the fields to bless His people with a bountiful harvest. See, God's blessings surround His people. His presence. Can't think of a better day to share in communion together. When we think about the presence of Jesus we think about why Jesus came. We think about the purpose. If you think back to Luke and that picture of Mary and Martha in the house and Martha busy with many things, anxious about many things, trying to make all these preparations, trying to do all these things, and Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus. The first time I was ever asked to really guest preach, I was 18 years old. I was a freshman in college. And it was Christmas time. It was the Sunday before Christmas. No pressure, right? Easiest message on the planet. But for an 18-year-old, it's never pre- I was preaching at a, in a little town in North Carolina in this little white church, probably about a quarter the size of this. And, uh, and, and the church had been without a pastor for about five years. And so when I say they were desperate, I mean they were desperate. So they called me. And, uh, and, and, and so I go out there, and, and, um, and again, kind of like with our series title, Christmas Presents, I thought I had the best Christmas message on the planet, super original. How to have a Merry Christmas, M-A-R-Y. Thanks, man. <laughs> Come to find out, years later, that's pretty common. Um, but, uh, but, but how to have a Merry Christmas and to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I don't remember everything I said, but I do remember one thing. They never called me back to preach there again. (laughs) But that's okay, because you're stuck with me. Uh, um, But as as I sat there with those people, and as I thought back to that this past week, I think, man, we say these things every year. Right? I mean, we say all those things every year. We say all the same things. Jesus is the reason for the season, the hope of Christmas. I was talking with Rick and KD Oshner, who have been in ministry for years and years and years last Sunday, and they said, you know, it's, it's really hard for a pastor to get excited about Christmas because it's just kind of the same thing, it's the same thing, and how do you present the same message differently and all of that? You know, and I think about the number of times I've done Advent and kicked off Advent with a story of hope. The hope of Christmas. Jesus. And how many of us are sitting here thinking about all the things that we have to do over the next 23 days instead of thinking about the one thing. Don't think about where you have to go, where you have to be. I don't know about your calendar. My calendar's filling up over the next 23 days. and I've got this and I've got that. 
But what would it look like if our mind was consumed with one thing? Doesn't mean you say no. Doesn't mean you turn down all those things. I mean, maybe if, that, if, if you want to go that route, go that route. But what does it look like to include Jesus in all of it? Well, well, I can't do that at my work Christmas party. You can for you. You may not be able to control other people's hearts. I mean, you don't know my family, but, but, but you can control your heart. You can control where your mind is. You can control what consumes you over the next 23 days and beyond. And what would it look like if we said, you know what, man, this year, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. Maybe the gifts aren't different. Maybe the, maybe the get-togethers aren't different. But maybe your attitude and your perspective is different because you're consumed with one thing. Jesus. One thing. One thing is necessary. Those aren't words of Mary. Those aren't words of Martha. But the thing I realized Thursday that just struck me like a ton of bricks, like when, like when um, Kevin throws that brick down at Marv's face and lost in New York in the second Home Alone, right, and just hits Mark and knocks him out, I laugh out loud every time. We, can you tell what movie we watched last night? <laughs> but it just hit me like a ton of bricks. That's Jesus talking. That's Jesus looking at Martha and saying, you're consumed with all these things, but one thing is necessary. And what if Jesus was looking at right at you and saying, you're stressed out, you're consumed, you're anxious about so many things, but one thing is necessary. Amen. One thing. And God sent Jesus. And it's what we celebrate. We could talk about the time. We could talk. I don't, I don't really buy that all that matters. Whenever it happened, however, God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus. And it's what we celebrate at Christmas so that we could have hope. So that we could sit and consume ourselves with the one thing.